0: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality.
1: And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we're discussing the process of decision-making on a different topic, Rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we are talking to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. Hi, my name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware Company, a full service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of this podcast as well. So today we're going to have, we're going to have sort of the, 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 the car wreck equivalent of a business conversation, which is about, should I should I sue? And if you've never thought about suing somebody, it means that you have not been in business Long enough to have thought about it. It just, it ultimately is going to, uh, it ultimately is going to come up, and it's it's a lot more complicated than just sort of dialing up the, the, the phone number of an attorney whose picture you saw on a bus driving by to figure out if that's a good idea. It's a very complex decision. There's a heavy emotional investment as well as a financial investment in doing it. And, of course, this is not something we can just tell you over the, the virtual radio. Hey, you got to go sue somebody. That doesn't make any sense. But we can give you some advice that, you know, from somebody that, that knows what they're talking about in terms of, of thinking through that decision. And, and probably maybe there's no place where a, a framework is more helpful because chances are if you want to sue somebody, you think you might want to sue somebody, you're pretty upset. And not many of us make our best decisions When we're upset. And so having that touchstone, uh, I hope for all of you guys listening, that's going to be helpful. And to help us through this is a dear friend of mine, uh, Jessica Wood, who is a litigation attorney with Bodker, Ramsey, Andrews, Winograd, and Wildstein. Steen or Stein? Stein. Stein. And and I'll say this: I I know Jessica. I know a lot of her colleagues as well. And it's it's sort of hard. I felt like I was kind of picking which one of my children I was going to have on the podcast, or I was going to I was going to favor. Are you Um, saying that because I'm so short? Not at all. Not (laughs) at all. I'm definitely not going there. Uh, But you know, one of the things that impresses me about about the firm too is all of your colleagues mention all five named partners all the time, right? Everybody else. There may be 18 partners, only the first two get mentioned, right? We have this firm in town called Morris Manning and Martin. Nobody ever hears the Martin. I wonder if there's a real Martin or not. It's just, everybody says Morris Manning, for example. But you guys all mentioned that the, the five. and I think that's has something to do with the law firm culture, but I digress. Um, Jessica is one of the top 100 super lawyers in Georgia. She's won all of her trials in her 24-year practice. So she's basically the Golden State Warriors of, of litigation. She's more un- the Miami Dolphins of early 1970s that were undefeated. She's also known for achieving outstanding results for her clients without going to trial. So this is not somebody that's necessarily trying to railroad you into a trial, which is why I wanted to have her, have her on. She helps individuals, including doctors, lawyers, CPAs, and entrepreneurs, And companies begin, maintain, and end business relationships. Her advice relates to contracts, employment issues, officer and director duties, and trade secrets. In addition to practicing law, Jessica teaches law students and attorneys. She lectures on contract drafting, expert depositions, mindfulness in the practice of law, networking, pro bono work, trial techniques, and wellness. Jessica also runs a quarterly water cooler event in midtown Atlanta that's designed to help attorneys network, build a professional network within the legal profession, focusing on young attorneys, but also helping older and younger attorneys build mentor-mentee relationships. She enjoys volunteering 80s new wave punk rock, which explains the orange hair that she walked in with here today, and compulsive punning. And, you know, on a personal note, I've known Jessica for, I think, about I think about 15 years or so. And uh, she's also been my personal attorney, although I've not had, used her in the context of a lawsuit. I've used her for, for contract work to make sure that I didn't get sued. So I have a, uh, a healthy respect. I'm, I'm not just an admirer. I'm also a client, <laughs> as they say. Uh, Jessica, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you for having me. Just so, one friendly addition to my bio, you. You, Michael Blake, helped me invent water cooler office hours. So thank you.
1: Uh, You know, again, I think you give me too much credit for that, but I'm just going to stop resisting. I'm just going to accept it. You're welcome. I'm awesome. So we'll just move. We'll just just agree I'm awesome and move on. All right. So um, so you're undefeated in law. And what's your secret to being undefeated?
0: Luck and preparation. Yeah. Okay. And... um, it's really picking the cases to go to trial. It's You You can control the outcome by knowing um, where the dangers lie. Yeah. And I coach my clients relentlessly about, you know, here are the pros, here are the cons. Here's a risk-benefits analysis so that they – and I love the way you describe this podcast. We are on the same team. I'm trying to coach them so they can make an intelligent decision. And it really depends on what the goal is. Uh, what the mission is. Sometimes the mission in in, in my life as a litigator, sometimes the mission is to save a marriage. There's an inconvenient fact that you do not want your wife to know about. And so that person's going to be incentivized to not sue or to get out of the lawsuit by settling on reasonable terms. Sometimes the mission is to teach the other person a lesson so that they do not commit this business sin that they've committed again. Uh, Sometimes the mission is to punish and deter. Sometimes the mission is to save the company. So every decision we make, every bit of analysis that we do is around what is that end result that we want to see.
1: So a lot of this, I guess, and we'll get into this as we really jump into the questions here, but is it fair to say a lot? You know, a lot of litigation is knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them. Yes, right. Because sometimes to quote ever, Kenny Rogers, there yes, you go. And, <laughs> can't go wrong with that, right? So right. I mean, that's not punk rock, but <laughs> so, um, but you know, there is such a thing as overplaying your hand. Absolutely, which, right? Can, can be irresponsible and can really blow back in your face, right? So yep. you know, you want to you want to understand sort of the certainty of your outcome. So with that, let's talk at the very beginning right? And the first question I have, I think, really gets to probably the first question you, the first call you receive from a potential client. They're mad. They're upset. They're frightened. Maybe some cocktail of all three and plus two other things I can't think of right now. Um, Chagrined. At one point, chagrined, (laughs) nonplussed. Yes. At what point At what point does that emotion get converted into a a serious discussion about taking this from a garden variety, I'm mad kind of dispute into potentially a court of law?
0: One approach that I've used with some success with clients is telling them, I want you to sleep well at night. I want this business issue to stop haunting you at a certain point so that you can go forward and be successful. People don't come to see me on a good day. They don't come in to tell me how well their business is going. Um, that would be weird. It would be really, you know, I would love it actually. <laughs> it would be delightful. Um, but so they're coming to me on their worst day. A nightmare has occurred. Something awful has happened. Someone may be about to sue them, or they, or as you said, they're furious. They performed a bunch of work. Um, the someone got what they wanted out of them, and now they refuse to pay. And it can be very consequential for. Small to mid sized businesses, so they are um, I think you mentioned the cocktail of emotion, um, and I think you 're dead on and so I always want people to have a, to take a deep breath. Um, I always urge them you know let 's talk and let' let 's go away from this, spend the weekend, go to your child 's dance recital, and then come back and tell me how you want to do this. Um, of course, we always have to look at timing. Um, there is a statute of limitations that may apply. Uh, the quickest one is defamation. That's one year um, on up to breach of a written contract, which is six years. So there's a lot of time for that anger to cool. And I, we also have to look at the, the life cycle of a lawsuit, which could be – it's going to be 18 months to two years. I have, I have a case right now in Knoxville that's been pending for five years. But I'm the defendant, so I'm okay with that. Right. We can take as long as we need.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and so that, you know, I, I think it's not by accident that, that the honorific of attorneys is often counselor. Because one thing that, that you and I have in common, your profession and my profession is in common, is that we are counselors. And I don't think that's not what they teach me in business school. I don't know if they teach that in law school either necessarily. They don't, unfortunately. But But you do have to have a certain... Way of managing anxiety and managing emotions to kind of get to the root of of the problem and and make the problem manageable right is that is that yes. fair to say?
0: Yes, we break it up into smaller components um, often these things are inextricably bound, um, but there's a lot of untangling that goes on and a lot of the times this bears noting a lot of the times I have to be cognizant of the fact that a portion of my client's anger is with themselves and so I have to be somewhat deft and delicate around that um you know we can't change the past so frequently I will say to a client um you know we can't change what happened then but what can we do today what can we what can we do tomorrow um another question that I ask along the road is do you care about this I'm involved in a negotiation right now um where it came down to a stapler it's not about the stapler I, I would the guess stapler not. i don't think <laughs> it's a proxy for something else but at, you know I, I will i will sometimes give my clients a little bit of tough love and say okay you're paying me x number of dollars an hour do you want me to negotiate this stapler deal for you
1: Right. And, and an then they'll hour, be like, oh wait a minute. <laughs> an hour you could have gone to Office Depot and bought a hundred staplers
0: exactly. I'm like, here, take my stapler.
1: So at what so let us let's, let's fast forward that a little bit. Let let's say somebody gets through your gate and I think it's worth I think it's worth mentioning that you know, I know that you don't take every case that comes to the door. I know your colleagues don't take every case that comes to the door, and I think that's a sign of a good advisor. But let's say they they meet your standard that you know this is, a a case that is winnable on facts and law, and b is worth having the fight about. Basically, right. Um, what does that process look like? And we sort of push that red button. What does that pro- What are the mechanics of that process look like?
0: Well, it so there's something that leads up to the process. I will frequently say to the client, "I want every piece of paper that relates to this. I want every text." I want you to tell me every scary thing. I want you to tell me every embarrassing thing. And it goes back to what you said about our roles as counselors. We, as humans, want to impress each other. And so frequently what can tank a case is what a client does not tell me. And so I try to be very kind and gentle and say, you know, there's no perfect case. If you think there's something stunning and bad out there, I really, really, really need to see it. Because I can always help a client. I can always do my special brand of, you know, legal ninja. But I can't... And I can and I can handle it live on the record as a surprise, but I can do a lot better if I know about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm simply just going to gather up everything. Frequently, I'll ask my clients to do a narrative for me, um, everything in chronological order. Uh, that can be enormously helpful um, because they're going to bottom line everything, even though I'm going to look at the documents behind the narrative. But it also helps them unburden a little bit. Also helps them refresh their recollection. Uh, Frequently, clients will say, as I was typing this 27-page, you know, eight-point font, single-spaced document for you, I remembered that one time where the bad guy did this thing. And I also always tell them, you know, we've all seen so many um, police procedurals and and, um, TV shows about law firms. They will want to censor themselves and say something like, well, I can't, t- I can't tell you about that. It's hearsay, hearsay or what have you. And I'm like, D- don't, don't you worry. We'll, we'll, we'll fix that in the mix. Tell me everything. Don't worry about whether it's relevant. You and I will sort that out together.
1: So that's, that's, that's interesting. I was not expecting that answer. It means I'm learning something. Part of that decision process, if you're going to sue, is, is are you willing to be vulnerable yourself and I imagine not just to your counselor, right, but not to your, to your, your, your representation, but you're also asking that question because you're, you're assuming opposing counsel is competent, will make the best move available to them, and it's going to come up and potentially on the public record. That's correct. And if you're – so you got to think long and hard that you know, if push comes to shove – Am I willing to have that out there? Is, the, is winning this case, is the price of having that out there a price I'm willing to pay to win this case? Yes. And sometimes maybe it isn't. That's I right. imagine, right? That's right. I mean, have you ever had a client say, you know, you need to know X, Y, and Z, and they, they kind of say, you know what? If I got to disclose that, it's not worth it? Absolutely. Okay. And the issue that comes up the most frequently would be what I would delicately
0: call a relationship overlap issue where you're engaged in one marital relationship but there's another relationship that occurred simultaneously
1: or a couple of them an uncomfortable venn diagram
0: yes a very uncomfortable venn diagram
1: okay <laughs> so uh but you provide a nice segue so thank you for that one of the first things you do is you ask in effect for a data dump yes Right. everything on yes. analog paper digital paper and otherwise
0: and texts How does that and Facebook posts and social media, uh,
1: all that too, right? If it's out there, it's out there, right? Absolutely. And certainly cheaper if the client provides it to you than you have to go scrape it somehow. Yes, yes. um, So how does all that work? I mean, you mentioned police procedural, so everything I know about the law I learned from basically NCIS and TJ Hooker because I'm in the tank for William Shatner, and I just admit it. I have a problem. I admit it. Um. but you know in, in the real world how does evidence work I mean is everything on the table what kind of stuff does get excluded I mean go through the mechanics of how, how evidence works in a trial scenario sure it's it's a multi-step process so
0: in a lawsuit there's going to be a complaint and then 20 to 30 days after service, depending on if you're in state or federal court, there's going to be a responsive pleading, which could be an answer and could be a counterclaim. So that's always something you have to keep in mind. And then there's a discovery period. And again, state versus federal, it's going to be about four to six months. Frequently, it's going to get extended because it's unwieldy and it takes a long time. So everyone's going to exchange documents. They're going to pose written questions. Then you're going to be deposed. So that's all of these pieces of paper all become evidence could conceivably become evidence so at the discovery stage you're not really looking about you're not really looking at whether something's admissible so it's a little more free range Um, at the trial stage however there are going to be many motions filed they're called motions in limine you're going to file motions to knock out certain evidence because it is it, it it is you know irrelevant that's a big one Um, it's actively harmful and can uh, bias the jury in a way that's inappropriate. And so what comes in and what comes out is going to be up to the judge. Uh, I will tell you a very interesting evidentiary issue that's arisen recently is what do emojis mean? So we're seeing more and more, you know, when we think of a contract, we think of uh, something with very formal language and whereas and, and things of that nature drafted by an attorney. Well, most of my messy cases don't involve that. It's, it's the old spinal tap. You know, they drew it on a napkin and, and crayon. Right. And that leads to problems. Uh, well, now you might have a contract that's a series of letters or emails or texts, and people are less and less formal in how they communicate. So, you know, what does that winky emoji mean? Does it mean that that's really the deal or that you were kidding? So we're starting to see this show up as an evidentiary issue.
1: That is a fascinating. A very pivotal one, isn't it? That is fascinating. So a thumbs-up emoji could be, I guess, construed it's as acceptance of a deal, right? Absolutely. That's really interesting. So um, so watch your emojis, people. Yeah. Well, boy, um, nothing but smiley faces now, or maybe just, just sort of the straight face, actually, just noncommittal. Um, now, w- what, is a, what is a deposition? Not everybody necessarily knows what a deposition is. All right. Um, and they're not necessarily the funnest things to go through. So what what is a deposition? Well, they're fun for me. <laughs> it's fun more fun if you're in the driver's seat, right?
0: Absolutely. So in a in a deposition, it's it's a Q&A. You're going to ask an attorney's going to ask questions and then the deponent is going to answer those questions and the deponent is going to be seated right next to their attorney and the attorney may object as to form. But like I said, it's going to be pretty free range. Mostly anything goes. Um, so it's, it's truly you're trying to figure everything out and get to the essential facts of the case. And they may ask something that is impertinent or improper, but you're rarely going to see an objection that's going to stick. Typically, the client is going to have to answer. So this is, this is where you start getting nervous in a lawsuit. If, if there's something that's got to be, something unsavory that has to be unpacked. Got okay. And it might be, it might be audiotaped. There's going to be a court stenographer there. Um, it may be audiotaped and then it's ultimately going to be transcribed. Um, and it might be videotaped mm-hmm. and shown to the jury. So if it's videotaped, I'm going to, and my client is going to be videotaped, I'm obviously going to prepare them for that and videotape them beforehand. Um, we all have weird facial tics. We do. Um, And some of us, some of us may have an aspect to our personality where the outside doesn't match the inside and where your credibility could be called into question, even though you're telling the truth, but you're so nervous, it appears that you are not being truthful. And the opposite is also true. I've seen some very smooth operators in my day. We all uh, do. (laughs) They are absolutely not telling the truth, but if you're looking at their micro expressions and, and you're... Uh, listening to them and you're watching their body language it they appear to be truthful
1: so at at what point then or what are the most common reasons where you kind of look at this whole process you look at what the client is telling you say you know what don't sue that this is not this is not going to help anybody I don't want to take your money what what kinds of things typically lead you to that advice
0: What's going to lead me to that advice is a client who has never been in a lawsuit before and a client who does not seem to understand my, my warnings, doesn't understand. When a client says, you know, it's, it's about the principle, that it's never about the principle. <laughs> it's about something else. When, when a client wants a victory that to me seems unseemly, or inappropriate or something i 'm not going to sign up for i 'm going to show them the door. If someone walks in and says it's not enough for me to win the other guy's got to lose, and he's got to be humiliated to be in front of the earth. world i'm not going i'm not going to do that why it's I find it wildly inappropriate it will take a portion of my soul that i 'm not willing to give, and that's just not how i 'm going to do business, and not for nothing it's 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 destined to blow up in everyone's face. It's just not not an appropriate
1: mission statement, in in my view. Now, I want to pause on that and kind of go off the script because I think that's a really important discussion point. Because one thing that I have I have observed um, in, in the litigation process, the few times that I've I've been involved, is clients will sometimes be frustrated because they don't think that their their counsel is mad enough. Basically, right. And, and they're like, you know I'm right. Why aren't you pissed off about this whole thing? Why aren't you leaping across and ripping out their throat and so forth, right? Um, why, is, why is it not a good idea to have your counsel get swept up in that?
0: I have a saying, a mad attorney is a bad attorney. The calmest person in the room is the person in the catbird seat. So you actually I, – I would think the opposite – I would want my attorney to be very calm, cool, collected, and poised because they know something that everyone else in the room is about to find out, that they're really, really good, that they've got good facts, that they have marshaled for their client, and that they've got solid case law. So I don't don't believe that yelly attorneys are good, and when I find one on the opposite side, I actually know instantly that they do not have what it takes.
1: Well, that makes sense, right? You know, to me, I always advise my clients, no matter how mad you are on the outside, on the inside, always be the adult in the room Absolutely. on the outside, because at some point, somebody is, somebody outside may be determining your fate, and it does. In my experience, it does not impress a trier of fact to have somebody that's just a blowhard, lawyer <laughs> stack bully kind of.
0: Not only personality. that, it will. It will. It may infuriate the judge, it may infuriate the jurors, it might infuriate the bailiff or the court stenographer in the courtroom. You can make a lot of enemies really, really fast by engaging that kind of vituperative behavior. I don't, I've never, honestly, I've never seen it serve anyone. And when I do see it, I just sit back because I know I'm winning yeah. when that happens.
1: That's right. No, nobody gets upset because they're winning so much, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. It comes. It's fear-based, right? Someone feels insecure, or that is, or they've been bullied, and this is how they walk around in the in the world, which must be very exhausting. And, and I'm sorry for them, but I, I just I've never seen it gain an advantage for a client. Now, passion. Yes, I am passionate in the courtroom. I take umbrage at things, but I just do it in a quieter way. Um, and I should also say. You know, attorneys come in all shapes and sizes. We all have our own level of emotional intelligence and our own skill sets and our own personalities. And I I think we should bring our personalities to the table, whatever, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they see me, I'm diminutive. Um, you know, I'm kind. I offer people snacks and coffee. And sometimes they think I'm a human marshmallow, and they find out very quickly that that's incorrect.
1: You're just luring them into the trap.
0: I am, absolutely. Come hither.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So a a, a question almost any client is going to come to the table with, and one of the sources of their anxiety, frankly, and I know you encounter this, is can they afford justice? Right? It's one thing to have a problem you'd like to have solved. It's another thing to be able to have the financial wherewithal to solve it. Um, and going into a judicial process ain't cheap, right? A, fr- a friend of mine years ago told me it's expensive to be mad. That's just kind of Absol- all there is to it.
0: It's, it's the most expensive anger you can feel. You're better off axe throwing. Right. I think that's like $30 at, per hour. Right, not at people.
1: At not at people. Wooden targets or <laughs> yes. trees, something, right? <laughs> at a
0: target. How, how,
1: do you play a role in helping a client understand that and you know maybe there are times when a client does need to financially extend themselves because of the benefit the other other end of the rainbow and in that conversation does that add extra pressure on you knowing that the client is extending themselves because they're literally putting their faith and some of their financial stability in your hands to produce that outcome a year or two down the road am I making sense yeah making total sense so how do you navigate that
0: so we would, have, we would have a budget. Frequently, we blow past it. It's just like construction, right? It's going to take you know, twice the amount of money as predicted and, and three, three times the, the length of time, right? It's always going to blow past that. Um, going back to a question you asked earlier about when would I show a client the door, if a client told me that they were going into their children's college fund, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's – I'm just not. okay they're 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 going to be enraged they aren't going to get what they want and i don't think that's a good use of their money
1: and and that's not so much you don't have faith in winning the case you just don't think that's a good idea for the client
0: yes i think it's a wretched idea because you could lose you could you could lose you could wind up paying your attorney's fees and the other side's attorney's fees so what i would do at the beginning of a case and would be to sit down and sort of project out how much how much will this cost are there less expensive alternatives um Frequently, even before suit is filed, I'll want to go into a mediation or perhaps sit down and talk with the other side. Um, you know, it won't hurt. It might help. Um, but, yeah, we're going to have a very careful conversation about, about money because it's going to be – you know, the other thing is there's no economy of scale. It, 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 I will do almost the identical actions for a, okay, a suit over $5,000 as a $5 million case. If you still have to have the depositions, you still have to file a complaint. So you still have to do all this work. Um, so we really have to look at the scale.
1: That's similar to my line of work. You know, it, it it costs as much, or sometimes even more, for me to appraise a pre-revenue startup than it would to to appraise a hundred million dollar publicly traded company. Exactly. And it's not it's it's not the scale. It's just that that. The diligence and due care required doesn't vary depending on the size of the matter. It's just you either do it right or you don't do it right in a discussion, right?
0: Now, that, Absolutely. Now, there might be a $5,000 case I would take if my client walked in the door, if my client was a corporation and had a lot of money, and the client said, we need the word out on the street that we – we don't put up with this, kinds of, this kind of behavior. You will get sued, and it will be painful for you. Something like that, that's a noble cause, and that's a good use of money. Um, frequently, I actually send my client to their tax advisor. Uh, whether it's an individual or a corporation, you know, our attorney's fees going to be deductible. And what are the tax ramifications of what you may have to
1: pay for a claim or a counterclaim? Okay. Now, what about contingency fees? We all, you know, we all hear about attorneys that will take a case on a contingency fee. One, I mean, is that does that happen, or is that urban legends like roving bands of surgeons that steal kidneys when you're drunk and dump you in a bathtub? Or is it, you know, does it only happen in certain areas of law like personal injury? T- talk a little bit about that. Is that a realistic expectation in a in a, in a commercial civil litigation context?
0: It is it is it. It is a rare attorney who will do them, um, and I'll tell you when they might be inclined to do them. So if you have a vanilla breach of contract, you can get compensation for that, for the breach, and you can get attorney's fees and expenses. Um, but to get the numbers really pumped up, to get punitive damages, you cannot get punitives on a breach of contract. You can on a tort. So a tort might be tortious interference with business prospect or it might be defamation or it might be trespass something of that ilk assault battery fraud fraud all of these can be torts so you could have fraud in a you know director officer case for example so you might be willing you might be able to find an attorney who would take something involving fraud on a contingency because the punitive's are going to be in an amount to punish and deter and are going to be somewhat tied to the worldly circumstances of the defendant so you might be able to find someone to do that. The incentives are going to be a little bit different in terms of how that attorney is going to behave. Okay. They, they may be in a bigger hurry. They may really want to settle for some certain. Um, they may be super aggressive because they want to get it in or they want to get to trial by the end of the year, if that's possible. Uh, but I've also seen cases where the other side, I suspected they were on a contingency fee basis and they were not pushing hard at all. Uh, perhaps because they had too much going on. So it's difficult to predict what kind of business incentives there are going to be when you have a contingency fee attorney. But they are very, very rare. I can tell you that. It, contingency fees are more common in personal injury.
1: Now, we're talking about… And,
0: and plaintiffs. Sorry to interrupt. Right. Plaintiffs' employment. Those are frequently done on
1: a contingency, right? Okay, yeah, uh,
0: it, which makes sense. You know, you've just lost your job; you, you don't have any right. money for attorney's fees, right?
1: Okay. So, uh, switching gears just a little bit, um, the, I think. I think there's a con- there's a conception or a concept that if if we are suing somebody, then this automatically is going to end up in court at some point. Is that true? Or how, how many of these? How many of these these cases actually make it in front of a judge and a jury? Very few. So first of all, I would want to look at the
0: contract to see, is there an arbitration provision? So arbitration is basically, you're going to pay the judge in your case. You're not going to have a jury. Um, it's going to be swifter and more expensive because instead of your tax dollars paying the judge, you're paying the arbitrator or arbitrators That could per be more hour. than one. Yes. I once had a, an arbitration where you had the deal was if the two sides couldn't agree on an arbitrator, and of course they could not, (laughs) each one would choose an arbitrator and those two would choose a third arbitrator and all three arbitrators would hear the case. And that is what we did. Wow. Yeah. That's a fast running meter. Oh my gosh. Yes. And we won. Thank goodness. Uh, but it was, it was very, very uh, expensive, but I'll tell you this, the arbitrators, when you're paying an arbitrator, they're going to read every word. You're going to, um, brief the issues before you walk into court. Um, it's a little bit wild westish in terms of evidence because the, they, they know what they should pay attention to and what they shouldn't. Um, so that the first the threshold question is going to be, do you have an arbitration provision? Then the next question is going to be, is it enforceable? Um, otherwise, it, it is a long road to justice. As I said, it can be eighteen months, 24 months, five years. So you are going to wind up in court along the way, perhaps for hearings or a status conference. But to get to trial, it takes a long time. Frequently, frequently the judges will order you to mediation because the, you have to look at what the judge is trying to be efficient with these public funds. They're trying to get cases off their calendar. And so there's big incentive to settle.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I want to ask you about that effect. So I am familiar with the fact that judges want to – they do want to get it off their calendar – and mediation is often a step. Have you found mediation frequently to be effective?
0: Yes. Really? I have okay. had, I have a 100%, there's an asterisk here. Okay. For sports fans. You had steroids? <laughs> yes, I did steroids. Um, you know, I used my hulkish anger to get through it. Um, I have a 100% success rate in mediations. The asterisk is, It doesn't always settle that day. But it's like, you know how you're trying to open up a peanut butter jar and you're not successful and you have to hand it to somebody else? It's like that. You're going to loosen things up a little bit. You're also, not for nothing, you're going to get free discovery. You're going to learn something that you don't know by the end of the day. And frequently, you know, going back to your question about anger fueling litigation, there are other ways to feel like you've been heard and you've had your day in court than actually going to trial. Mediation, I think, is a great way to do it. Frequently, you're going to be in front of someone who's a current judge who you've hired or a retired judge or a a litigator with years, decades of experience, and they're going to sit down and listen to you. You're going to spend – I've had things wind up at 2 in the morning. You're going to spend a very long day, but your client can bring up things that you don't feel are – Perhaps aren't relevant in the case, but are important to the
1: client. And so, just, there's a, there's going, a back the stapler, going back to the stapler.
0: Going back to the stapler, the gosh
1: darn stapler. I'm furious about the stapler. I'm never going to look at a stapler the same way wanna... now. I'm going to have issues with stapling. In fact, I may have stapled my last thing. It's all going to be paper clips and thumbtacks from now on.
0: There's always a stapler in every case. I have a case right now where there's a stapler. I mediated. A case to successful conclusion a couple of months ago, and it was all about the social media of a non-human animal. That was the most important issue. So you never know. There's a staple, but there's some version of a stapler in every case. Hmm, okay, but it's it's rosebud, right? Yeah, that's it right. has meaning.
1: Yeah. It has
0: meaning to the client, and I don't. Um, I I'm, I'm not going to look askance at that. Sure, I, I I must respect it. Well, it's
1: it's. Part of the fact pattern at the end of Absolutely. the day, right? So, yes. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be the way I ran a railroad, but it's not my railroad. Exactly. So, um, got time for a couple more. I, I could have a two hour conversation with you on this, but I can't afford your rate. So, I've only got time for and budget for another couple of questions. Um, but, one question I, I do want to ask is at, at a sort of a high level, what is the best way a client can maximize your value to them? How does a client make sure you're in the position to be most successful for them?
0: That's a great question. Give me everything at the front end or as much as you can. Partner with me. Collaborate with me on coming up with your narrative. Be available. Don't. That's another thing that we haven't talked about. Once you file a lawsuit, you can be hailed into court at any moment. And the court does not care if you're on spring break with your children. Hmm. So so that's another thing. You're, you're giving up time, but you might be giving up something intensely personal as well. Um, I want my clients to be responsive, to get back to me quickly. Um, in general, I want to get some forward momentum on a case. There are rare times where I will ask my client, do you want me to refrain from acting? Do we want to just hang out and see what the other side's going to do? So there are appropriate times for... Um, Silence and not doing anything. But in general, I, I need, just need the client to be available to me. I have clients who I will pose a pivotal question or the other side will ask them for when can we have deposition dates and they will become ostriches. That, that's a client I'm going to fire.
1: Okay. Um, there are lots of people out there who do what you do. Same with me. Lots of people out there who do what I do. And as you said, all alternatives are different. They bring their different strengths and weaknesses to the table. Somebody decides they want to have that conversation and they need to kind of pick the right representation for them. What are kind of the, the two or three things you think are the most important or the kind of due diligence points that that potential client should be doing on their own end? I would – so
0: most of my clients are sophisticated business people either individual C-suite level doctors, lawyers, or on the corporate side, uh, very good at what they do, I would say that they should ask around. Uh, That's the best way to find, uh, you know, a lot of people find me through two completely different people. That always makes me feel really good when that happens. Um, But they should ask around and they need to hear horror stories and they need to hear success stories. I think that's the due diligence. Um, you know, it, you can't really look up a win-loss record. You would actually have to talk to the attorney about that. I mean, I'm sure you could go to the Northern District of Georgia or Fulton County and, um, you know, look up what cases they've dealt with. But um, you know, ask, the, ask the attorney. And, and a win-loss rate isn't everything because sometimes, or as I like to put it, coming in second place because that's what happens at trials sometimes.
1: Well, <laughs> and, and there's that human element, right? Yes. You, you don't know what kind of judge and jury you're going to get. Uh, And and the client may sandbag you by withholding material information. Right. And you can play a great game, basically, and still lose. That's just the way it works, Absolutely.
0: So to quote Depeche Mode, everything counts in large amounts. So it's a little bit your likability on the stand. It's a little bit how good is your attorney. It's a little bit what are the facts of the case. How did the court rule on whether certain evidence should come in or be left out? So there are... Many, many ingredients that that go into a success or going into second place. Just because you go into second place doesn't mean that you're an abject failure. And just because you win doesn't mean you really won. There are appeals that can be had. I had one case where, and I told my client this, I said, he's going he's gonna to file for bankruptcy if we win. He said, no, he would never do that. His pride won't allow him. Guess what happened? <laughs> Spoiler alert. So – my client got a sheet of paper that said "You won and you 're awesome here 's one point one million dollars." but then my client had to chase this guy for another two years to get to get a fraction of that so you can win without winning yeah you can lose without losing um, you can also you can also win too hard there 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 are times when i where you have an early an early victory perhaps at an evidentiary hearing or you know you humiliate the other side intentionally in a deposition and then that person's ego becomes so fragile and so involved that they then make the decision to crush your client so you have to be you have to be deft at all times and you have to be you know think everything through every single step comes with a consequence and so i'm always i'm always careful to avoid blowback
1: So I can't do any better ending an interview than with a Depeche Mode quote. So I'm not going to try. I just – I don't have it in me. Um, If somebody wants to learn more about this topic, if they want to learn more about Depeche Mode, or they just have a great pun they want to share with you, how do they get in contact with you? Well, they can call me. I actually pick up my phone. You do?
0: I absolutely do. I I know unless I'm on a deadline – And and, in which case, I'm going to ignore the call and get back to you. But typically, I'm going to pick up the phone. So they can call me on my direct line, which is 404-564-7409. Or they can email me at jwood at brawwlaw.com. They can look at my website and read more about my bio and read more about the kinds of litigation that I've done.
1: All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Jessica Wood so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.